Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Davin Lim, a world-renowned dermatologist with special interests in cosmetic dermatology, lasers, devices, and injectables. Based in Brisbane, Australia, Dr. Lim is considered one of the world's leading experts for laser-treated skin disorders and rejuvenation therapies that include tattoo removal, acne scar revision, and laser resurfacing. If that wasn't enough, Davin also runs his hugely popular Instagram and YouTube profiles, where he breaks down skin and cosmeceutical myths in a no-nonsense language. What's the situation like with you? It's fine at the moment, right? Yeah, it's fine. It's like zero. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, my concern is that it's going to spread to New South Wales and we go backwards again. So I really hope that whatever we need to do, we just close down the borders and just carry on as we are and live in a micro bubble. I don't think yeah. um, the economy could handle another shutdown. No. Nah, nah. I mean, if you have a look at the US, everything's for, for um, a waste here because the initial shutdown and then it's back to exactly the same as what it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a complete mess at the moment. And how's your clinic going? Like, you guys busy pumping through Botox, filler, skin, lasers? It's all going crazy? Yeah. It's kind of funny, yeah, because a lot of my colleagues, are, um, they're very quiet. Yeah, In fact, they're running 20 30% capacity as in um, uh, medical specialties, yeah, like, um, you know, orthopods and all that. Yes. And some of them, yeah, and some of them, even plastics, they, some of them want to actually shut, shut down for a couple more weeks because it's just not worth it. Really? And, yeah, and the flip side is that the aesthetic side, I think, is just going bananas. It's like I haven't done more filler in the last two weeks than, yeah. Christmas, yeah. Yeah, I agree. The volume that I've seen, it's just been unprecedented. And everyone that I've spoken to is having the same thing. And it's interesting, lots of new clients as well. I don't know where they're coming yeah. from. And, and everyone's got them. So. Yeah, it's true. Hey, it's just, it just the mind boggles, yeah. Because you, if you think about it logically, you just go, yeah, people are going to, the first thing they're going to do is, um, you know, tighten their belts and um, not spend on aesthetics. And it's the other way around. Hey, they, they don't want well, to get their uh, colonoscopies. They don't want to get anything. And they'd rather have their freaking uh, face done. But yeah. Well, it's, it's like a self-indulgent thing. People aren't buying cars. They're not able to travel. They're not going on holidays. So this is something they can do for themselves, make themselves feel a bit better. It's like a lipstick economy phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, like with the, with the uh, depression and the recessions. It also depends on how much you charge to, to a certain extent because there's still people that want to have treatments, but if they can find a cheaper option, yeah. they'll, they'll gravitate towards those. So, you know, if you're, not, if you're charging $25 a unit, you might not do too well. True, true. <laughs> I still think it's the Zoom phenomenon. Looking at our faces now, <laughs> everyone's getting a real good look at their face in animation, under shadow, different lighting. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I, honestly, no, I think it's a true phenomenon. Definitely, definitely. And, yeah, I was talking to a, a colleague. In fact, we just had an Allegan um, conference call and one of our colleagues from New Zealand said that he's had a real spike in Belkyra inquiries because everyone's sort of... Oh, sort of the chin. Yeah, I've been Yeah. I think instead it of... Um, totally agree. 
I think instead of the full face consult, we should just have a Zoom for like 10 minutes and then bring them in the room and have a chat. <laughs> you, you know what? I think you got a good point. In fact, I was going to do a, in fact, I, I started working on the paper with uh, with this COVID thing in, in Botox, yeah, um, but Botox medical as in hyperhidrosis. Yeah. The numbers just plummeted with that and the cosmetic Botox just went up. Because the people are not people on Zoom meetings, they don't care what people look like when when they're sweating, yeah. So the Botox HH numbers, uh, the item numbers, gone down by about ninety percent. Wow. The Botox cosmetic numbers have gone up. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, it's because you can wow. sort of do auto um, air conditioning. You can have your trousers off on the Zoom, and no one would know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, you know, uh, you know what uh, Jake's wearing at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm Donald Ducking, as I like to call it. Uh, okay. What have you been done? Stand up, mate. <laughs> just yeah, just to, to, yeah. I actually <laughs> I heard that term from them. someone else. So Donald Duck wears a blazer, and then nothing. Nothing below. <laughs> exactly. I, I thought it might have been some fetish that you developed over the uh, isolation period. No, no, no. We <laughs> like did that fairy, in the last podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it. We're recycling. <laughs> exactly. So, Davin, um, we got you back to do another podcast with us. Your your one on lasers went down a storm and people wanted more. So, we've got you back. Oh, cool. um, <laughs> so, you know, when you look at your, your YouTube channel, a lot of it is debunking or explaining skincare, skin products, actives, what works, what doesn't work, what's, yeah. what's bullshit, basically. So, I mean, mm. you know, the skincare market is just ridiculous it's literally full of thousands and thousands yeah. of brightening creams eye creams night creams day creams magic creams you name it there's a cream for it nine <laughs> percent bullshit you know that yeah. yeah well exactly that's why we're here to sort of rip it tell to us pieces, all about the bullshit <laughs> i mean you know as a dermatologist I, I, I don't know if we can start with this what does a skin consult look like when someone comes to you and says Dr. Lim, um, I've got redness or dryness or acne breakouts. How do you, what, what are you actually doing in that consult to tease out what they need? Because a lot of the time, someone will randomly walk into a shop, grab something off the shelf and just go home with it and it probably won't work. So seriously, um, most of the, are we live now? On, on we stuff? are live. We are, we are live. Okay. So yep. seriously, um, the consult itself is not long. It's designed to actually fluff out the whole frigging um, <laughs> consultation time. Because in most cases, when the person walks in, you already know their skin. Like you, you mm -hmm. really have a good look for the first 10 seconds. You can more or less be in that ballpark, whether they've got, you know, acne, melasma, rosacea, sensitive skin, whether they've got a flare-up of dermatitis, um, or whether they've got sun damage. And the whole idea yeah. after that is then we, we I guess, more or less uh, dictate a uh, questioning based upon our first, I guess, um, yeah, sight, the, fir the first time we meet them. So often it's, it's a, a conversation as in, oh, how can I help you? And then they would go on about, you know, um, their whole bucket list, yeah, with what they want done. And I go, well, what's the main, the top three? Hmm. Uh, and then I try to break it down really simply. Yeah, is it pigment? Is it um, is it redness? Um, is it yeah? Is, is it sun damage? Is your skin a little bit rough, or is it wrinkles? So um, that way, if you break it down to layman's terms, they can express what they're concerned about. Because sometimes patients, in fact, sometimes a lot of times patients can't see um, the uh, the forest for the trees. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask, you know, you could have a, you know, an injectables client sat in front of you and they are not interested in their skin and yet it's a glaring problem yep. and they just ignore it. 
So, mm-hmm. but presumably they've self-selected. They've come to a dermatologist because they've got a skin problem. Yes, or, or the flip side <laughs> is that they want, they think they've got, they think they want either you know um, uh, uh, injectables or laser, but then they've got a skin problem. Yeah, right. right. Okay. True. So maybe the consult's more more for them than it is for you because you've already assessed them. The consult yes, is for you to explain to them yeah. what you're seeing. Definitely. Because you've sort of worked it out in the first 10 seconds. You already know what you need to do. You're just trying to yeah. get permission to do what you want to do and explain to them why they need it. Yeah, in the vast majority of cases, yeah. And, and when we see someone who's, um, you know, sensitive skin, they're red, angry skin, and I guess you open up the conversation. Do you have any history of, um, you know, asthma, my hay fever, any atopy? And they go, no. And then they go, oh, shit, more than likely this is a uh, irritant dermatitis because he's using too much crack. And 90, 90% of the time, that's, that's the actual thing. They come in, they bought so much crap because when they go to any, any store, yeah, they, they sell them a day cream, night cream, eye cream, serum, uh, moisturizer, scrub, cleanser. Uh, you know, toner and then uh, <laughs> eye cream, and then they repeat it the next day. So they've got a huge amount of product, and they're just causing so much irritant um, dermatitis. So would you would you say that a, a large percentage of people's problems are self inflicted through just overuse and using their own products? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, if if you look at, I guess, just not in what I do, but main in mainstream medical dermatology, when you look at facial rash. One of the most common facial rashes, POD, yeah, perioral dermatitis, that self-induced, hydrogenic, yeah. So they buy themselves the, uh, you know, uh, soup. because I guess nowadays with uh, skincare companies like, you know, Inky List, The Ordinary and all, they're giving super potent products at a very cheap price. So in the past, you used to pay 50, 100 bucks for, for a bottle. Now you can buy it for about five bucks, yeah. So what happens, you get 20 bucks and people just go to town on that and they combine their retinol with their salicylic yeah. acid scrub and an AHA toner on top of that and they're wondering why they've been screwed. And they look like a burns victim in a week. Absolutely. And they go, oh, shit, this is really bad. i got to use more. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought you were going to say it's the other way around. I thought you were going to tell me that you know, there's a lot of stuff on the market that doesn't have too much in it and therefore it's sort of expensive dressed up shit. Uh, so, so when you look at the high end stuff, that's definitely right. Yeah, so stuff like La Mer and all of, all of that—that's um, you know dressed up stuff um, that hasn't got much bio uh, activity. And then the flip side is that, and I think you know when you look at how skincare is is going or gone over the past three four years, you'll see that um, the lower end market, lower the mid end market, you know things like the ordinary drunk elephant, all all the trendy stuff, yeah. Uh, they understand that nowadays people can do research on <laughs> online, yeah? So they go, oh, cool. Don't need to see a dermatologist because five minutes of research, I know exactly what I want for my skin. So yeah. then, then they tar- then, then basically um, uh, traction towards that particular brand with that particular active ingredient. And it's, yeah. Right. So, you know, if someone goes into a fancy, um, you know, high-end store, Mm-hmm. How much of that stuff on the shelf is actually potentially quite useful? Apart from sunscreen, <laughs> mm-hmm. really? So you're saying the majority is just absolute guff? I think so. Yeah. I mean, apart from sunscreen, uh, there are a few things. You know, when, when as derms, we believe ABC. You know, the uh, retinol, retinoid slash um, niacinamide, vitamin B, and ascorbic acid. Yeah. So apart from that, and your uh, skincare acids, your AHAs, BHAs, and your sunscreen. And you know the odd things like you know hydroquinone. It, a lot of it's crap, yeah. A, a lot of it's crap. Um, 
Yeah. (laughs) Marketing. So with that being said, so if if most of the stuff that we're applying externally to our bodies is uh, relatively useless other than your sunscreen and a few other select products, do you ever talk to people about internal health? So in terms of like how much water they're drinking, how much sleep they're getting, I mean, I'm assuming those sorts of things have pretty significant impact on the way your skin looks, right? Oh, definitely. I think the most important thing is, I guess, um, acne, uh, acne slash rosacea, yeah, because we know that foods actually flare that up. So, um, you know, for, for your rosacea, hot, spicy food, you all, all the stuff that you, it's really nice, yeah, your curries, your your Thai, your red wine, um, you know, those and chili, all that sort of stuff just flares up rosacea most in most cases, yeah. And then your acne with your high sugar foods, um, you know, high glycemic index foods and your dairy, they all flare, uh, yeah, they can potentially flare up acne. So definitely, um, you know, like 10 years ago, seriously, um, the Derm College, because we were taught, we were grilled into our uh, learning and teaching that diet has virtually no um, implication when it comes to acne. But nowadays, you know, we know, you know, the solution often uh, is at the end of the fork rather than the prescription pad. Yeah. And acne is one of those really difficult ones to treat. It's almost like this cyclical problem where people have an issue they try and cover it with makeup, it gets worse. Then they try like plethora of different products. They don't really know what they're doing. It becomes desperation. All of a sudden, you're caught in this, this like, like this, uh, like a vortex of pain yeah. where they just can't get out of it. Uh, absolutely, because like the best makeups for it uh, that conceal the best are basically the oil makeups, and they're the ones that are most communogenic. Um, yes. So they're caught in the catch twenty two. Let's cover it up so no one can see, but then um, your skin won't breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And then Fair many enough. many people with acne don't realize that um, acne is actually a um, we, we class it in the in the same um, I guess group as um, uh, barrier impairment because their, their skin is they, they actually have a barrier impairment with that so they're right. super sensitive and anything they put on is to an impaired barrier yeah uh, the barrier functions down and would you say that the majority of people that you're seeing with acne is is um, genetic or is it sort of uh, environmental slash habitual sort of problems? I think there's both, yeah. So there's de- definitely there's genetic. That's why we ask the um, you know good family history whether they say you know anyone yeah. in isotretinoin know and or, or needed that that can skew our uh, I guess management to early and aggressive but sensible management, yeah. And then uh, all the other things. But look, most people now, they've got a little bit of insight and they go, look, I've tried, because when they go to see a derm, most of us, I mean, I, I certainly don't prescribe, I used to prescribe um, years ago, but most of us don't go, oh, cool, there's another patient we can put an isotretinoin because we shit ourselves because, you know, for that odd <laughs> pregnancy that you get every, you know, three to six months with, with it, holy shit, that's, <laughs> that's really uh, traumatic. Yeah. Yes. Both us and the patient, uh, especially if it's a teenage girl and, and uh, you know, 15-year-old girl and the mum doesn't know, you can't break it out in a, in a subtle way to go, look, you know, the test shows that you're slightly pregnant. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> slightly pregnant. Nice. I had many of those conversations with um, with patients, uh, you know. Decade yeah, ago. awkward. And, and yeah. I think all derms we have one or two per year, yeah, with that. Gosh, that sounds really tricky. Now, I'm going to include doctors and nurses as well as sort of patients and clients in this, but why is skin so poorly understood and also skin care? I mean, you know, I had, I remember a patient just this weekend, she's, you know, she sort of naively said, oh, can you just recommend a good face cream? Yeah. And I was like, well, 
okay, like with my limited knowledge of, you know, the, the brands and, and the knowledge, what is it that you're actually complaining about? And she was like, oh, I just want to look younger. It was just like, you know, so many times people fall into this like trick of magic cream. And I, I, where does that come from? That's just the branding from the, from the products, uh, from the brands, is it? Yeah, 100%. In fact, today I was, uh, actually this morning I was um, having uh, breakfast with Rhiannon from um, Luminous. She worked in Harrods and she told me the, um, she worked in the cosmetics counter six months, six months of marketing training. Yeah. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. You're thinking, I mean, I'm thinking, shit, you know, I can have, you know, four, five, six years of dermatology training um, and I have no chance to convince a patient what to use because they've got six months of uh, internal marketing. So <laughs> it's. Yeah. It's crazy. The force is strong. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's scary that um, it seems like, you know, we're sort of bound around using the word like Botox and over-promising what it can do and what it can't do. But it seems mm -hmm. when it comes to skincare, you can make all these yeah. wild claims and promises and before and after photos. I mean, I used to work in in a clinic where I won't mention any specifics. So I don't want to get sued. Um, but um, the, <laughs> there used to be a person that came in and brought someone with them. They, they had a, a fairly well-known uh, skincare product and they used to get someone to come in and get half their face treated with Botox and then they used to go off and pretend that they'd had this, they'd used their skincare serum no on way. their side of the face and they were using Botox to try and mask what it was. Just huh? a, it's just like criminal almost yeah, that what people can get away with with these skincare claims. Yeah, I mean, when patients come in and go, look, I'm using this skincare, that skincare, I go, well, do you like it? And they go, well, yeah. And I go, well, that's fine. But if you're going to have, if you want something to, you know, basically see a difference, you're not going to get it. That's why I keep challenging, you know, apart from the few before and afters, uh, even when it looks, when you look at the original retin, retinoid, yeah, by Griffiths um, et al. years ago, like two, two and a half decades ago. The uh, improvement when it comes to um, textural change, skin quality, and fine wrinkling, you really got to do a double take and, and really squint and go, wow, um, now I can see a tiny difference. <laughs> and that's yeah. using uh, a retinoid, a medically prescribed retinoid. That's why I tell patients, you know, when they go on all the Instagram and the website uh, pages from all the big companies here, yeah, uh, Neostrata, Neutrogena, Dermatological, you don't see before and after photos. <laughs> you just see... Happy people, um, you know, in the sun, um, eating fruit or, eating, <laughs> you know, crap like that. Um, and everyone's smiling, but you never see it before and after, yeah? It's and then really you look, and and then you look at the bottom of the screen and they're like, this is a sample of 83 people. <laughs> yeah, that's and you're like, 83 people? That's the smallest study I've ever seen in my life. And this is a globally branded, you know, product. Mm. It's ridiculous. And, and one of the one of the things is um, uh, patient satisfaction. <laughs> Are you satisfied with this free product? Yeah, sure, I am. <laughs> yeah, it's, it smells great, and it feels <laughs> oh. lovely on the back of my hand. That's true. Yeah. Hey, it's like that's like the test for a good skincare. What does it smell like? It smell like and what exactly. does it look? What does it feel like on my hand? <laughs> that's exactly. like that's like in, the litmus fact, test. In fact, I've just just last month I did a comparison, so um, I'll, I'll release that video probably next couple of weeks. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you guys a sneak peek. Um, uh, challenge between um, a, a La Mer, so La Mer moisturizer uh, versus a really, really cheap moisturizer, like right. really cheap moisturizer. Um, and the price difference is about 20, right? Wow. Yeah, and I've, right. Blinded, I've blinded people. They, they came in and I just go, you're not allowed to smell it. They just got to apply it and see, pick which one they, um, uh, they prefer. Two-thirds pick the cheap moisturizer. 
Right. Yeah. And yeah. I had one skin one skincare expert slash um, blogger uh, patient of mine. She's um, very good. Yeah, she, she's Asian. She uses a lot of high high end skincare. So she decided to go on this, and um, and she couldn't pick it. She she picked the cheaper moisturizer, the one you can buy from um, right. you know, discount pharmacy. Yeah, chemist right, one so. Is she is shutting she... down her blog now? <laughs> <laughs> is that the oh, is the name of the lab bunny or something like that? Uh, no, 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 that's Michelle. Michelle's really good. Michelle's got um, a lab muffin. Um, oh, that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah, lab yeah, muffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Michelle's very good. She, she's uh, she's actually a good friend of mine. She, she's scientifically, she's um, you know her pharmacy and her chemistry. She, she's a PhD, yeah, and she got honors in uh, in that. So um, yeah, kudos to her because um, you know she knows the ingredients backwards. We've done a couple of things together. And I think we're going to do uh, one with the ordinary in the next month or so with a conference call from to, to the headquarters in Canada. Great. Right. Yeah, David he, and I were talking about her. She does the chems. I do the clinical. <laughs> okay. Well, in the future, you're welcome to come on the podcast. So that would be <laughs> awesome. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell her that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Now, Davin, I thought it'd be useful to try and explain what an active ingredient is. You've You've sprinkled a few of those into the discussion already, but... For people who don't really understand what they are, like what what should people be looking for on the back of, you know, a, a product, or, or or what are the key um, actives, and maybe we can talk about those in a bit more detail. Yeah, I guess when you look at an active, it, it's um, by definition something which has biological change, or, or um, in theory has biological change uh, in a lab. <laughs> so, for example, like um, you know, when we're looking at ret- retinoids or retinol, yeah. Um, in Australia, as you know, retinoids need to be medically prescribed. In the US, for example, a definitely uh, second-generation retinoid you can buy over the counter. So we're talking um, about vitamin A for sort of vitamin basic A, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, in theory, well, you know, going back to the initial papers uh, years and years ago, yes, it does have. Um, in fact, most dermatologists that is the uh, skincare of their choice. Yeah. So for me, it's definitely vitamin A. So my my skincare is super super easy. Sunscreen, uh, <laughs> soap as a cleanser, no, uh, just bugger all, just water. Yeah, sometimes I use a bit of Cetaphil or whatever's, um, in, in the shower that my wife puts in. And then vitamin A, that's it. Yeah, and the vitamin A I use is usually a retinoic acid, 2%, and I might do that once every, uh, four to six weeks. That's it. I don't fluff around with the nightly regime and all that crap because it just takes too much time and doesn't do any uh, any any good. But what's vitamin A for? Why would someone say, okay, you have to have vitamin A in your skincare regime? Because that's the most robust uh, studies and the most research in regards to um, uh, photorejuvenation, in, re- in regards to rejuvenation of photodamaged skin, reduction of fine lines, wrinkles, uh, and also pigmentation. Yeah. Plus right. reduction in acne as well, yeah. And I'm right in saying it also, if you like, speeds up the promotion of the younger skin cells to the top of the skin and sheds yeah. the, the older skin. Definitely. And that's part of, part of the reason how it actually works as well with dull skin. Yes. Uh, like, like you said, it increases your turnover from you know, 24, 28 days to about 16 to 20 days. Yeah. So yeah. it speeds that up uh, and it gives you more, you know, I had to use, I had the word radiant, but it gives you more radiant skin and a little bit of glow. <laughs> So a lot of people, when they first start retinol, they get a bit dry, red, a bit oh, yeah. itchy sometimes if they overcook it or they use it too frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. look like Freddy Krueger. I learned that yeah. one the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah, about that, a week of using that, it, and then all of a sudden I was like, what has happened to my face? It is yeah, falling but off. You know, you know what? That, that's actually normal because um, 
retinoids that work through the RAI receptors, yeah, the retinoid re- receptors, and part of their um, – and like I say, when you get scaling or increased epidermal turnover, and you get red not because of the irritation but also because of the photosensitivity and long-term because it's uh, angiogenic, yeah, so it increases your blood vessels, so angiogenesis. So yeah. if, you, if, if a retinoid does not cause that, um, that problem, it's too weak. So the whole idea is to find your threshold and then back down on it. Yeah, so for example, mine would probably be about two, maximum three days per week. And I know a lot of patients that can do it every night. So mm. it's, you know, what you're experiencing is absolutely normal. Yeah. Right. And do you use it all over the body or just your face and neck? Preferably the face, yeah. You can use it on your um, you know, chest, neck, and decolletage. Um, that can work as well. What about the hands? They tend to be an area they get hammered yeah. a lot with uh, sun damage and yeah, I mean, in theory, it can, but you know, with your epidermal uh, thickness over there, it's pretty thick, so you might want to exfoliate first and you yeah, know, right. use something like the sal acid or lactic acid prep uh, as a primer, and then you could put on your retinoids. But yeah, you know, facial skin probably uh, the, the goer, as in uh, face, neck, chest, because it's thinner skin, better absorption. Right, and they're probably the area, one of the, some of the areas you get the most the most sun, right? The most yeah, damage. Exactly. Yeah. And Davin, you sort of right at the start, you touched on retinol versus retinoids. Obviously, you can buy retinol over the counter without a script mm-hmm. versus a retinoid where I think you'd need a script. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, your bioconversion from a retinol to a retinoid, it's estimated 05 to 1%, sometimes you know, a little bit higher. Uh, but your bioavailability is very, very low. That's why it's, uh, it can be sold over the counter. Okay. Right. So they're not useless. They're just kind of weaker they're weaker and there are there are not many studies yet on on um these cosmeceuticals with a lower concentration mm. um and you do see one or two you know before and after photographs it's you know most derms if you see a dermatologist most of us if if you can tolerate and if you're sensible most of us would uh use a retinoid ourselves and probably prescribe it to sensible patients as well the downside about prescribing a retinoid to patients is, uh, like David mentioned, you, people go to town with it, yeah? yeah? And then they go, they get a bad experience. They, they go, oh, I saw a really shit derm. Yeah, he gave me this cream and it's really <laughs> yeah. bad because it made my face go really red and I must be allergic to it. No, it's actually, it's actually meant to be <laughs> Fair enough. So, so why should someone seek out potentially getting a retinoid when they can get a retinol? Is it just safer and, like you said, it's just a little less hardcore? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for patients who've never used a retinoid uh, and they come in all you know hyped up and go, "Cool, you know, I'm going to use a lot of, a lot of skincare," but they're probably the last patient you want to prescribe a retinoid to. Yeah, just right. go, Look, why don't we start in the 0.5 retinol uh, yeah. and use it two or three nights per week? And then gradually go up from there. Yeah. And if they can tolerate the the one point zero, um, you know, or two percent, then certainly we can consider a low strength uh, retinoid. Yeah. And where does um, retinaldehyde fit into all this? Because uh, from what I understand, it's maybe somewhere in between. Because I know it's pretty expensive yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think that um, that one I've got to check on on the uh, active biochemistry. But I think um, it's an ester of a retinoid, and it still needs to be converted. I think. Yeah. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Now, I guess the next next logical one is vitamin B, funnily enough. Yeah, B, B, <laughs> B is actually pretty good. B is benign, yeah? So anyone who comes in with, and, you, and they're a skincare junkie and they want you to prescribe something and they're jumping up and down going, cool, um, what else can I add to my skincare? B, B is very benign. Niacinamide, um, B3, 
uh, anti-inflammatory, great for patients with rosacea because they don't usually tolerate the A's, which are possibly irritating the C uh, because it's too acidic. Uh, so the B is a pretty good one. Uh, some good studies coming out of um, Sydney, actually. Um, uh, Diana Damien from um, one of the dermatologists there, she's done uh, some research in regards to vitamin D3 and uh, reduction of cellular keratinosis skin cancer risk. So, mm. Mm. yeah. You touched on skincare at the beginning, and obviously we're aware that it's super important to use because of uh, uh, the typical fair-skinned uh, Australian and the harsh sun, but there seems to be a lot of people now that are suffering with uh, vitamin D deficiencies. Mm. Sort of, uh, How do you sort of balance that off where you sort of might be vitamin D deficient, but you, you've got super light skin and you don't want to get uh, <laughs> aging prematurely or skin cancer? Oh, mate, if you got an hour, I can talk about that. <laughs> oh, we've got like no, no, another because, 40 I mean, minutes here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, vitamin D. I think I think the levels are a little bit bullshit, yeah. Because when when you look at when you look at um, you know vitamin D levels, they look at all around the world. And you, and if you think about where our genetic, uh, I guess, heritage is from, uh, I'm from around the equator. You guys are probably from up north, where your actual vitamin D levels are supposed to be very low to begin with. Somehow or other, everyone gets mixed in this genetic tree, and over the last um, you know decade or two ago. Well, this is the actual norm rather than looking at our true, um, yeah, th- this is the way I look at things, yeah, the true genotype. And regardless, you know, if people pop vitamin C and vitamin E uh, and go, well, you know, I need some supplementation. I can't eat enough oranges and I pop a vitamin C. Save yourself from skin cancer or melanoma and pop yourself a vitamin D. No argument there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I know, I know, like, you know, uh, to, because you, to get your vitamin D levels up, your, your conversion is actually with UVB, and UVB is um, most in um, midday sun. So basically, you're going out there um, with a high amount of UVB unprotected to get your vitamin D for that, you know, as they say, 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> That's pretty bad, yeah? You do that twice, three <laughs> times a week, and um, you know, your melanoma risk increases uh, a significant amount. Right. So pop a tablet. <laughs> Sounds way more sensible. Just going back to vitamin B. So I think you mentioned sort of it's good for inflammation. So things like rosacea, rosacea, um, yeah. sort of red, you know, red spots. Yes, yeah, sensitive. So patients with really sensitive skin and they want to, you know, they want a skincare active. Um, that that's the B because it can be anti-inflammatory as well. So we can sometimes use it for acne as well. And can you not get any of the vitamin B in your diet? Do you, why, uh, why do you have to have it as a topical? That, that's a good question. That's probably Michelle would know know that because of the uh, actual bioavailability of vitamin B and the synthesis in the skin. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So for now, vitamin B, topical, very benign, red skin, yeah. sensitive skin. Easy. Let's go to C. Please. <laughs> I see. I see. So when, you're answering, when, we're, when we're back to the uh, nutrients in the skin, so vitamin C is well known, yeah, to cause um, if you uh, have a systemic uh, depletion of vitamin C, uh, you will get skin changes, and that's scurvy. So yes. your scurvy with skin changes include, from what I remember, uh, ecchymosis. So you get easily bruising because your collagen is, is down, collagen forced down, and you also get um, those corkscrew hairs as well, yeah, because your um, uh, it's like curly little hairs, like pigtail hairs. Right. Yeah, so it can affect your um, your skin and your hair. So supplementation of vitamin C in the context of building collagen, that's only if you're deficient, that's a goer. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. And 
I think I saw this on one of your YouTubes. You said if you opened up a vitamin C, say serum, and it smelled of oranges, it's crap. Yeah, it's crap. <laughs> 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 I think I must have said that a long time ago. But no, no, because we, um, you know, anything citrusy, you get the, you, you may get the phytodermatitis, yeah, the, the um, some sensitivity due to um, uh, citric fruit, uh, fruits. Uh, and that oh. is a marked photosensitivity. So vitamin C, you shouldn't feel, uh, you shouldn't smell citrusy because it's, uh, it's, you know, it's made in the lab. They put fragrance there so that people go, oh, wow, this is nice and natural. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah. not really citrusy. Let's put it on. <laughs> yeah, right. Speaking of, um, smelling oranges, um, we've had a few, a couple of people on the podcast and people that I've spoken to just in, uh, just in my travels about, um, using food as a skincare. So things like, uh, yogurt and Manika honey and all that sort of thing. Have you heard about people using real food as skincare and what are your <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> I guess if you want to have a face full of yeast, I guess you can throw that in yogurt. <laughs> no, no, yes, no, I mean, certainly manuka honey can, you know. Uh, and there's there's a lot of now now we call them botanicals, yeah, because yeah, all, botanicals, uh, yeah, yeah, botanicals, and that's the buzzword, you know. I'm, I'm on botanicals. <laughs> I'm, I'm using uh, frigging licorice on my face. No, um, when you look at every skincare blog, you see that you know azelaic acid uh, derived from wheat germ, uh, you know. Uh, rye, oats, and you go, wow, that was re- really natural. No, it's found in minute quantities there, but it's made in the bloody lab. <laughs> so they go, that's a botanical. Yeah. Um, right. yeah, and the flip side is that there's a huge, uh, really huge uh, resurgence, and not really resurgence, a really huge trend in the last, trending over the last five, ten years in regards to botanicals for uh, pigmentation. So things like licorice, bearberry, cranberry, um, uh, you know, licorice root extract, um, whole heap of different things yeah from from, from ber- berries because they um uh reduce they prevent oxidation um and they also tyrosinase inhibitors so mm. a huge market. Thought. yeah yeah huge huge market <laughs> but again is that sort of theory or is that proven in studies well, I guess, um, it, so the answer in theory, yes. But when we use them, so a lot of derms still use them, yeah, because we, we need to cycle patients off, for example, hydroquinone, and we use all the botanicals, the licorice, especially with arbutin, alpha and beta arbutin, um, and like I mentioned, all the cranberries and bearberries and all. And, but what we're seeing, we're not seeing great things, yeah, but in theory, um, we go, well, we wish this could happen, but maybe we'll get a good response rate in, 20, 30% of patients, which is kind of dismal considering how much they cost. Yeah. Um, is that compounded or is that a brand that you're, you're sort of um, using? Yes, I, I use both, yeah. So um, the brand is, is, for example, Lytera makes it. So Lytera, Meloderm, Melorase, Melocreen, uh, anything Mela, <laughs> that's a melanin type thing, any Mela suppression. Generally yeah. speaking, they have the very same uh, formulation, yeah. Okay. Which is which is your botanicals plus your citric acid, salicylic acid, and a few others. Fair enough. Now, we jump around a bit, but if we go back to C, that's also good for pigmentation, correct? Yes, yeah, it's, it's good for pigmentation. Vitamin C is very tricky to use because the highest bioavailability is uh, 2.5 to 3.5 pH, yeah, which means it's acidic. Hmm. Patients with um, rosacea-sensitive skin, dermatitis, eczemosebric dermatitis, you put it on, you'll know it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. And keeping it stable, I've heard in the past, has been tricky as well to sort yeah, of keep it in the, 
antioxidant, which means it's um, photolabile. Yeah? So you need to put it in a um, in a dark area and you need to keep it cool. So you're right, you know, uh, stability is an issue, um, but I think it's more of the packaging in the container. So if you see a vitamin C in a glass <laughs> container, you know, it's, it's bioavailability is virtually zero. Cause it's oh, all so you're looking for plastic only or what would you be? Um, most of them, but yeah, plastic or, or um, when you when you see the compounded stuff, um, it's in those really thick amber amber um, glasses. Yeah, yeah, right. Just having a wrapper around it in, in a uh, airtight and light first container will will make it more bioavailable. So, what's the difference between vitamin C powder and oil or serum? Serum, um, I guess bioavailability. Yeah, because you're. Um, in theory, you need the vitamin C, the ascorbic acid, to penetrate down into your dermis. So it's got to be a small enough molecule to go through your basement membrane. Yeah. Uh, very unlikely a powder is going to do that. Ah, okay. Mm. I've always sort of been told anecdotally by skin therapists that they prefer powders, but who knows? I guess if you're using it as an antioxidant, certainly there's, there may be some value because okay. uh, vitamin C can be used for uh, – Many things, yeah. So we're going to use it as an antioxidant to reduce uh, oxidative stress. For example, yes. with ferulic acid when you from skin cuticles, which is a good, uh, it's probably one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Um, that one sits on your skin, so it absorbs your free radicals from UV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it prevents or reduces your uh, free radical damage. If you wanted to go into your uh, into your dermis uh, and have dermal activity for collagen stimulation, uh, probably a powder is not great. Okay. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And you used the word free radical there. Can you explain to people what that is? Because that's really what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was about to say something about one guy that's too political. Free radical. When you have a, uh, from what I understand, a electron, a so your UV uh, hits your hits your atom, it generates, uh, it displaces an electron, and the electron, and that whole molecule is a free radical means it needs to scavenge um, oxygen yeah 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 so that can cause oxidative stress uh, so that's something around. damages your own molecules yeah yeah and the yeah. most common the most common cause is uv so people try to find other things like you know whatever foods whatever um you know smoke and smog or it's no, it's most of it is uv and certainly there's environmental factors as well okay and mm. um, uh, we were going to come on to skincare, so maybe we'll we'll leave that till later. But I was going to ask you about UVA, B, and mm. as well. I think you said um, skin pigmentation is a big one, and we touched mm. on this on your laser podcast. Um, you said that C has got some activity for pigmentation, but you also mentioned um, azelaic acid, and I think there's kojic acid. There's a few others. Mm. Uh, uh, give us like a, a, a sort of a bullet point of what works. Why would you use it? Where does it go and when is it not suitable? When do you need a laser? Yeah, look, um, the mainstay for melasma treatment, anything pigmentation, generally speaking, is medical first. You Ooh. need to find the cause, get the diagnosis, and then you actually treat. So obviously, sunscreen number one. Um, if you have significant pigmentation, most of the terms will go for the basic HQ, the hydroquinone. And then from there, you cannot use hydroquinone for a long period of time because you'll yeah. get um, tachyphylaxis, tachy you'll build up tolerance to it. Or you may have uh, what's known as ochronosis, in other words, paradoxical uh, skin darkening with it. Right. Okay. So we need uh, agents, agent or agents during that off cycle period. And like you said, azelaic acid is uh, super safe. It's very benign. In fact, for a lot of dermatologists, we always have that joke where 
azelaic acid is a compound looking for a disease. <laughs> it can be used just about any skin condition, any skin condition. Um, you know, it's funny because in the vivas, in, in the oscies and, and vivas, when we're studying um, in the examination, um, anything inflammatory, just throw azelaic acid. In general speaking, you'll be right. Um, pigmentation, azelaic acid. Rosacea, azelaic acid. Yeah, you know, dermatitis azelaic acid. It's like a cure-all. Acid. So um, very benign. It's very cheap, readily available, 5 to 15%, uh, you know, concentration, whether it be finacea or as clear. Um, it can work marginally for all these conditions. Some people love it because they do respond very well to, you know, for example, for acne or resonation. Hmm. Um, so that's azelaic acid. Kojic acid. Uh, readily available, uh, much more common in Asia. Concentrations usually one to two percent. Uh, generally benign. The risk of contact dermatitis, irritant dermatitis, or or any sensitivity is very low with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it can be a good depigmenting agent or something that you use it in in cycle. That's why it's very popular in Asia, especially Japan. Mm-hmm. So, how how often would you need to use that? Like, let's say you were literally trying to, you know, do a Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, that one! No, you, you can't uh, he, had the, he had the vitiligo, Jake. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yes, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Form vitiligo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you'd be eating a lot of azelaic acid before you get that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and with those, with those, uh, so kojic acid and azelaic acid, are they just temporary? From what I understand, from layperson's perspective, it's just uh, slowing down your production of melanin. Yeah, in the cells. So. But is, yeah, so basically reducing the enzyme which um which produces melanin. Um they they rather I mean in the context of things compared to things like hydroquinone, they're rather weak inhibitors. So that's why we use this as rotational or cyclical therapy. Right. But they're like a, a temporary treatment, right? Because as soon as you stop taking them, arguably that that, that coloration comes back. Yeah, um definitely. Yeah. So you mentioned using it for melasma. What about, you know, just general sunspots on the forehead or people who've got a bit of a, you know, sunglasses mark on their face, or, you know, whatever, general yeah. sort of pigmentation? Yeah. I think by the time you actually, I guess, wait for the uh, pigment to reduce, for example, for like what you say, you know, the suntan mark and all, probably go with, uh, you know, if your skin can tolerate it with a retin- retinol, retinoid or an AHA because like you previously mentioned, it increases uh, turnover. So what you want to do is get a quicker result, a more Push reliable result by just yeah, by just increasing your your turnover, slopping off the or pushing out the pigment, and you're back to hopefully back to normal skin. Hmm. They're probably best to use those in, uh, in in that regard. So do you sometimes use them as a prep before you do a laser treatment, or you just go straight in and, and laser uh, your laser most of the time? Because um, certainly, look, there's research out there in regards to retinoids, not retinol, retinoids, and quicker recovery from laser. But it's marginal, um, you know, at the most, you know, half a day, one day. Um, but I use that after the actual laser. Go, look, you know, we've got you to such a good degree. If you can just incorporate sense, you know, sensible skincare, and it could be just a retinoid a couple of times a week, some niacinamide, some sunscreen, uh, and, and that should hold them. Yeah, keep, keep it very simple, and things like that actually work work well if they uh, if it's simple. Fair yeah, especially the retinoids, yeah. But yeah. normally, well, I even I tell people like if you want to know a, a, like a really simple skincare regime, it's ABC, moisturizer, sun cream. But what about vitamin E? Where does that come in to all of this? 
Vitamin E, well, tocopherol is a um, antioxidant as well. So that's why it's in that CE ferulic acid from uh, skin cuticles. Um, and E can E is often a, it's a very benign. Yeah, it's a, it's fat soluble. It's a, it's a good moisturizer. Cool. Super cheap, as you know. You can go to Kmart and you can buy a sort of vitamin E for four bucks. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think a lot of people concentrate too much on the in theory, uh, especially with uh, things that prevent or, or uh, uh, antioxidants. Yeah. So they read up on you know the C, the E, the ferulic acid, all the other antioxidants. Go, I got to use that, and they're missing out on the biggest factor, which is sunscreen. Yeah. How do you sunscreen correctly? Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess if there's a limited amount of shit that you can put on your face, <laughs> you don't want to go, well, I'm going to use the A, B, B, the C, the salicylic acid, the alpha hydroxy acid, the, the vitamin E, and the sunscreen, and the hyaluronic acid because it feels good. So, what I tell patients is like, you have a threshold, pick your stuff really carefully. Um, the way I look at things is uh, whatever you put on your face, make it count. Yeah. You, you got to do it for a reason. Uh, otherwise, you're just wasting time and money. But not only that, you decrease your skin's threshold. So don't worry about time because some people just go, look, you know, I like that routine and like that, um, you know, application process because it feels good because um, it's yeah, it's basically a routine. And, and women love that. Some guys love that as well. So I flip it around and go, look, instead of having that as a routine, what what do you want your skin to do? What What do you want to achieve? And make every application count. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might leave out the vitamin E unless they want to use that as a moisturizer. Yeah, I right. think a lot of people sort of get put off by skincare because it seems too complicated and they're like overwhelming. There's so many choices. Stuff in the yeah. morning and the night and sometimes in the day and, uh, you know, they just get too fed up with it because it seems too prescriptive. Yeah. So I think, like you say, just, just choose two of those things and try them and see what happens. Yeah, and the flip side is get you, you get the uh, skincare junkies, yeah, the ones who who just want that you know thirty two step skincare routine because the ten step Korean routine is just too easy. So you know, yeah, you get exactly. you get the flip side. If it's yeah. not complicated. It's not good. Yeah, that's right. Um, so getting on to, to moisturizers a little bit. I mean, is it something that you think everyone needs to do? And how do you sort of determine what's a good one, what's a bad one? Because you were saying that you've had your La Mer and you had your yeah your two dollar one. How, how do you sort of determine what's good i mean for i guess when you think about logically if your skin isn't dry yes there is a flip side to the argument everyone should moisturize here yeah, but for me i'm a bloke i'm a simple dermatologist if your skin isn't dry and everything's cool don't moisturize yeah. <laughs> right because, because you, if you're going to use a skincare active whether it be a b or an a you're gonna it's going to be in a vehicle right mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so you can you can use that as a moisturizer um, because it's in a vehicle. The flip side, however, is that if you've got sensitive skin and you're not tolerating your retinoids very well mm-hmm. or your retinol or your ascorbic acid, you've got to use a moisturizer. So if there's nothing wrong, don't, don't make it more complex. If you do have problems, certainly use it. Um, uh, that's just my simple way of thinking. Other dermatologists say you got to, and I can see this this side of the argument because it, when you use a moisturizer, you don't actually moisturize the skin. You actually decrease trans-epidermal water loss. In other words, you decrease the amount of so-called dehydration that your skin's undergoing. You're not adding moisture in. Yeah, all right. one of my skincare hacks that I was going to say at the end, but you've already said it, Devin. I've I've listed your five hacks that you did on one of your videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just like, okay, 
five things that every dermatologist is there. Let's make it up. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. It's interesting because when I um, I'll just I'll relate this back to bonsai for a second. Um, that if you have a tree that's uh, compromised, you will miss the mold, uh, miss the foliage to stop uh, evaporation, to stop the tree losing moisture. So you're not actually the tree isn't really taking in moisture through its leaves. You're stopping moisture leaving until the roots are able to recover. So it's similar to moisturizer. You're stopping moisture from leaving. It's the same thing with trees. So I have yeah. to, to relate yeah. it back to trees. It makes sense when I do that. No, no, no. The, the, the other thing I was going to ask you, because I find myself doing this as well, yeah? When you're doing bonsai, you've been doing this for many years. Yeah. You're an expert. I've, I've seen your Instagram. You've got next level shit, mate. It's, it's, <laughs> it's called me Mr. Miyagi. Oh, I, there you go. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi. You, you'll put Mr. Miyagi to shame. Look, so I'm a new aquascaper, yeah? And I was yeah, yeah. I was just aquascaping uh, last night. And I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm sure people people just look at what, yeah, because when we when we aquascape, we put the different types of soil, we put the nutrients, yeah. we put this, we look at the water, we want to add this, add that. Maybe it's the same as skincare. Now, and what we're, what I'm doing as an amateur is like, hey, you know what? It feels really good because I'm in this routine trying to look after my plants. Same yep. as someone looking after their face, and if someone says, "Mate, you don't. You just need to chuck the soil in there and just run some CO two in the light." And she's she's right. I'll go. Nah, I wouldn't enjoy this much. So I can see, you know, as I'm doing this kind of stuff, I go, "Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. Well, why should challenge? Like you want to do that? Yeah. Do you do that to your bonsais? Yeah, like in terms of keep it simple or, or go sort of really into detail. Well, I mean, look at your history of, of yeah. how you 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 know because, like I said, you, you've been doing it for many years. Mm. Have you changed much? Because when, when now that you know stuff, it's interesting. It's I was having this chat to my to my girlfriend the other day, and I was saying it's weird that I've when I first started doing it, all I wanted to do was acquire these skills, to be able to do like big bends and manipulation, all this crazy stuff. But as I've matured as an artist, and I have those skills now, I find myself doing less of it. Simple I'm looking, stuff. Right? I'm looking for less. Um, yeah. Looking for more sensitive ways and more, more rather than trying to bend the tree or a branch to my will, I'm looking what's that tree naturally trying to express and how can I accentuate that rather than imposing my will on it. So it's, it's yeah. sort of like this weird relationship where I have the skills that I always wanted, but now I'm not using them because I want to be more mindful of the tree and, and explore different aesthetics. It's it's an interesting paradox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel when Jake's are like that, I'm going to chip in with my two. <laughs> Come on, Jake, tell us. You know, you can go, you know, you've seen this a lot with uh, injectors who have just learned how to do something new and cool. And they sort of try and do that on every single person and try and, you know, slot it into the treatment plan somehow. And 99 times out of 100, it shouldn't be there. Yes. So, you know, basically what you're saying is keep to the simple bread and butter stuff because it works. Yes. For example, like, you know, with, with injecting, you know, we know that certain points uh, in, in certain boluses actually do really well. And then when you come, when you have a look, actually, the uh, did you did you see the webinar with uh, when I did uh, that with uh, Stephen New? Stephen New had a really good webinar and he showed a particular injector, fr- pretty good injector, made of mine from, from the UK, the before and after, straight before and after. And the, the frigging thing looked Awesome. And then he brought the patient back. I think about something like six to eight weeks later. You can hardly see the difference. And I guess it's when I look back at the injection technique, it's trying to make something more. It's nice. It's finesse. It looks very complex. Um, but then we know when we do certain points and certain boluses, we get a bloody good outcome yeah. uh, rather than sprinkling a bit of HA throughout the entire base. And go well. You know, going to do zero point one here, zero point zero five here, uh, zero point two here, zero point two five here, 
and then you get this, you know, it looks kind of okay. It looks very technical, uh, but we know, you know, good bowlers 0.3 here uh, gives you that wow that probably lasts a lot longer as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, we're going back to moisturizers. I've got a mm. question because I've been sort of told this many times. Is there a difference between dry skin and dehydrated skin? Uh, that, that's that's complicated. Dry, dry skin. I'm trying to get you with a trick question there, Devin. Just be careful. No, no, no. I've been told this before. <laughs> and, you know, you hear skin therapists sort of using these terms sometimes, and you're like, I don't really understand that, but maybe maybe there's something in it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you look at dry skin and look at the actual um, dermatological actual skin term for dry skin, it's xerosis. Yeah, and xerosis can be due to many causes, including endocrine or, or for example, you know, your thyroid disease, your... Um, Renal insufficiency, it can be genetic, you can have xerosis due to uh, various uh, DOK diseases of keratinization and a whole heap of different stuff. So the so that's dry skin. I reckon there's a there's a that if you're gonna use that word, generally speaking, you've got chronically dry skin, there usually is a uh, reason for that. There's a genetic yeah. reason for that, or uh, endogenous or exogenous cause, it might be drugs, etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you're saying dehydrated. Dehydrated skin, I think, is it's a it's a big it's a big umbrella, which means you, you've got – it can be doing many things as well, but most often environmental. So you, you, you may go to an environment and you've got, uh, for example, in winter with lots of uh, heating, um, and that takes out the moisture because your trans-epidermal water loss is increased, and yeah. that's that way your skin is de- dehydrated. Yeah. So it's not dry per se. It is dry, but it's dehydrated because – uh, you're not preventing trans-epidermal water loss, which is an easy fix because you just use a moisturizer. While yeah. dry skin per se, where you've got cirrhosis, a lot more complex. Okay, so that's pretty rare then. Yeah. Yeah, reason, I, I guess uh, we're going to use it in that in the in the proper word, yeah, um, and, and break down the causes of dry skin and dehydrated skin. That that's you know this big list with with you know cirrhosis. Okay, super technical. I mean, I'm going to ask a question that everyone's thinking, but I'm going to ask it. Why, why do my elbows and knees get drier than everywhere else? Why? Hmm. Are you? Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, flexion points? Flexion, exactly. Flexion ah, points. okay. Yeah. yeah. Flexion points. So, so it's just basically the, the, the motion and the contraction. Yeah, and the friction, of the friction as well, yeah, because that's oh. what we have, for example, psoriasis. Right. Uh, they love the elbows and knees because carbonization. So you have your pressure over there, your friction, uh, and that's why it gets dry. Right. I just thought I just had. I just thought it was an area that got dry, but it makes sense. It's because of repetitive motion. Yeah. Repetitive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> it's all that crawling around you're doing in the in the gimp dungeon, David. <laughs> I was going to say doing bonsai, but <laughs> like, sure. I wasn't going to tell everyone about our personal I, life, Jake. I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, am I right in saying, as a good general rule, if you've got um, drier skin, you need a thicker moisturizer and thinner if you've got more oily skin, or is that nonsense? Um, I think with oily skin, it's probably uh, – you're right when it comes to um, uh, a more occlusive, yeah? So you can use the word, I guess, occlusive. That way, because once again, it reduces trans-epidermal water loss. So basically something like you – know, and the best one is probably petrolatum. and everyone hates that. It's not it's oil-based. Yeah, it's not natural. Yeah, it comes from the ground, it's dead dinosaurs, mate. It's it's, it's <laughs> petrolatum, but that is the best, one of the best uh, humectants, yeah, one of the best moisturizers. And so, thoroughly agree with that. When it comes to oily skin, it's more frequent use because when you're stripping your skin of oil, it's your um, negative feedback uh, loop, your feedback loop that gets uh, impaired. 
So that's why you see those blotting people with blotting paper when they blot their, their oil, they produce more oil. So what we say is like like, and I do agree. Use a lighter moisturizer, but use it more frequent. Yeah, more frequently. So maybe two, three, four, five times right. a day. Yeah, and that can reduce oil productions. It's I guess for for the uh, layperson, that's a really hard thing to grasp. Well, I've got more. I've got oil, and you want me to use more moisturizer. Mm. Um, but we see, as dermatologists, we see what happens when people strip their oil because they often get, you know, a secondary condition from that. You know, sensitive skin because their barrier function of head, the oil is mm. on, um, and they go in that vicious cycle. Yeah. Over cleansing and things like that. Yeah, over cleansing, stripping. Yeah, especially with like what you say, you yeah, over cleansing with especially acne patients. Mm-hmm. Presumably, for the gold star, if you've got combination skin like an oily T zone and dry cheeks, you, you'd use two different moisturizers, maybe. Yeah, I think that's so like too complicated. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I think combination skin is is is, is hard. Um, really get my and- money's worth out of Devon tonight, David. <laughs> 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 no, I, I think I think that's hard. You probably want to use a uh, you know, a sensible light moisturizer because I think the rate limiting factor is your uh, oily T zone. So if you use a really occlusive moisturizer, you're gonna get acne. Yeah? So yeah. go with something light and do it more frequent than um, than go for something heavy or using two moisturizers. Because remember, when you sleep, what happens? Everything gets mixed up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. True. Fair enough. <laughs> Are we talking about sunscreen now, Jake? Yeah, sunscreen. Let's, let's do the sunscreen one because that's kind of so, a bit of a, a big one. Yeah, because yeah. I don't understand what like every year they seem to be like having a new UV factor. Like it was a UV fifty, a mm. hundred. Like, <laughs> is it really possible <laughs> that like the sunscreen now is a hundred times better than what it was ten years ago? Or is, what, uh, what do all those numbers mean? You mean yeah, SPF? Uh, SPF of two? SPF, sorry, SPF. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, SPF of two basically is your sun protection factor, which is measurement of burn time. So if you use something like SPF two, instead of burning four minutes, you can you'll burn in eight minutes. And if your SPF of four, basically it blocks out seventy five percent of your um, of the UVB rays. So once again, it's only a factor of um, a measurement for your burn factor. That's it. So, so once you go from a thirty to a uh, sixty, uh, you're only increasing your UVB protection by uh, somewhat three four percent, which is very very slim. You quoted from a 60 on to a 120. <laughs> I remember this. You quoted, I think, factor 30 was 97% coverage of the UVB, whereas 60 was only yeah. like an increase of 1% or something ridiculous. Yeah, it's something really, really small, yeah, because because by the time you uh, – it's basically, yeah, the curve. So 2, 4, 8, and you go 2 equals 50, then 75%, and then okay, so 4.5 on top of 75. And yeah, it just keeps going. So, right. which means your exponentially smaller uh, protection, the higher you go up. Okay. So, it's like uh, the law of diminishing returns. Yep, exactly. And people and, get caught right. up over it, yeah. And what's the difference between UV, A, and B? Like, how are they differing and, and, and what cream should you use for either? Yeah, I think in Australia nowadays, like, it's very rare to get just a, a straightforward UVB. Most of them are broad spectrum, which means they cover all sunscreens, just about all sunscreens cover UVB, that's your burn time. Uh, and then the UVA is your uh, longer wavelength. So that's the one that goes deeper. So that's mm-hmm. the one that denates as collagen, uh, gives you immunosuppression. So uh, important, UVA is very, very important. And nowadays, I guess, in 20 years ago, we used to read the labels 
And now it's just automatic. You know, you've got chemical blockers and you've got your physical, your titanium dioxide, your zinc oxide. They cover against long-wave UVA. Right. So you've either got the thick, shame-worn kind of over-the-nose zinc or you've got <laughs> yeah. the more kind of creamy ones, which are the chemical ones. Is that right? Well, yeah, I mean, zinc is still the best, yeah. So zinc, um, macro, large particle zinc, like what you're describing, is probably the best sunscreen. But it's always a, um, you know, it's always a compromise between cosmetically elegant, uh, the things that you're going to use without the sheen, and things which have a high SPF. Yeah. Um, that's why I always say you have that two types of sunscreen, one you use for sport and one you use for every day, because the one you use for sport, you're not going to use it every day. Okay. Yeah, right. Great. And they've, so they've moved away from micronizing now. So that you think the the larger particles are the way to go? Because I know, like ten years ago, everyone was the micronizing. Micronizing was all the rage. Yeah, I mean, I did the paper I think about twenty years ago. I'm using micronized um, particles and the um, and the and the uh, protection it has from UVA. The smaller the particles, so we're looking from what I remember, some like twenty, thirty uh, nanometer particle size. Your um, UVA, your long wave UVA coverage isn't as good compared to your large particle, which means if you can see the sheen, generally speaking, it's it's better. Yeah. Uh, but the flip side is, in, I think I did, yeah, so this article with Julian Murphy, the, um, we showed that, you know, cosmetically elegant uh, sunscreen is super important because there's no point having a, you know, <laughs> a really good SPF if someone's not going to use it. Um, yeah. you know, you need, it's always a compromise. In the real world, it is a compromise between Finding a sunscreen that you like to use and, um, you know, something with a, a high, high factor as well. And as a clinician, I'm always um, pushing the, because it's, like we mentioned, it's a law of diminishing gains. Trying to find something that's got a high SPF that you're actually going to like compared to something which we know uh, patients will more than like to use. Yeah. Yeah. So as a yeah. derm, what, what do you, forget cosmetic, what, what are you recommending people do every day, walk, walking around to work, et cetera? Yeah, I, I mean, most of us prefer. I, I like actually, um, you know, invisible zinc. I always used to remember Megan Gallagher's invisible zinc when she had the contract for that. <laughs> invisible zinc's good. It's it's um, cosmetically elegant. L'Oreal makes some really good ones, you know, with the um, uh, with the Merxil XL. Uh, they've got a really good chemical blocker, uh, and that's uh, from L'Oreal as well. So that's across their L'Oreal range. Okay, and what about moisturizers with SPF in it? Do you recommend it? Like, do you recommend that as a general principle, or is there a compromise between the moisturizing and the the sun uh, protection? Yeah, I think there's a compromise, and and the biggest compromise actually is, yeah, if, if they're going to, from what I remember, when we measure it, we use it at two grams per centimeter squared. We measure that from a um, um, uh, from a UVB point of view, and that's the actual. Um, SPF factor mm. is, is measured with a with a that that quantity. See, the problem with sunscreen is that um, when we measure that quantity, that's equivalent to between three to five mil application for each application. Yeah, and you have many derms. You, know, you have a look at Instagram. And all. I mean, it's a bit of a whack because people get oh, like you know, it's like the dentist go to you. Oh, you need to brush your teeth and floss after every meal. I mean, shit. <laughs> you know, if I'm having four or five meals per day, I'm not going to carry my toothbrush to work. Yeah. You see, some people are pedantic, they do that. I certainly can't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a compromise, brush your teeth twice a day because that's what mom and dad told us to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, but the dentist would say, you know, after every meal. 
And you see some dermos who say that, you know, sunscreen uh, reapplication every two to four hours. It's impossible. I mean, you do it two, four, two to four hours, you know, you're using it three, four times a day. <laughs> yeah. And You'll, no one's uh, ever going to do that. And if you're going to use it properly, it's three to five mils. That's why the first thing I ask patients, I say, oh, how, how good is something? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. I go, uh, bottle, how long does it last you? They go, oh, about six months. And we know that, um, you know, <laughs> an application is going to be at least two to three mils, at least, yeah? Yeah. Which means you do that twice a day. That's already five mils. So one, in theory, one bottle should last you ten days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about um, like uh, you mentioned, sporty kind of um, sun creams, or what about for kids when they're around the pool? And oh. some sun creams are branded specially for kids. Like, is that nonsense? Yeah. Like, I remember those banana, banana boat. Sure, yeah, that's that's yeah. banana boat. Yeah, but but I think I think it's one of those where you know. Kids, yeah, man. Now that they're like, even my bloody daughter, they want to feel privileged. They got the special kid sunscreen. Oh, this is for you. This is for mum and dad. Look, this one's got little dinosaurs on it. <laughs> like when I was a kid, is like, here, put this on, and dad will beat you. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still a barrier cream, and it's the same thing, presumably. Exactly. Exactly. Oh uh, yeah. It seems like people can get so caught up in trying to you know as you said like brush your teeth 10 times a day and apply more like you get so caught up in the stress of trying to remember everything you'll give yourself a uh, premature aging just from all the cortisone you're going to get released from being stressed about it all yeah ex- exactly just that's why i said just keep it simple you know and i think a lot of derms we just get you know sunscreen twice a day vitamin a a couple of times uh, a couple of times a week want to add vitamin c or whatever as an antioxidant or, or, or whatever that's fine yeah uh and, and that's it yeah um, and maybe once every month or once every two months, I'm like an AHA, a good AHA wash or, or, or serum. Um, keep it simple. And I think that's, that, that's the main thing. Yeah. I think most don't share, you know, most honest dermatologists would share the same principle, uh, unless they've got products which they want to flog in their own practice. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things that you just mentioned that I wanted to touch on. So cleansers, um, mm. you know, Many people are using a cleanser in the morning and then at night, and some people use different ones in the morning and night. Like, what's your general rule for cleaning your face? Because you said you just use water. No, I just use water, but some people would go, you know, I, mean, I can understand you know, double cleanse, especially if you've got makeup. Um, I think where cleansing is important is that if someone has congested skin, and that's where using uh, you know, things with the real side, for example, salicylic acid, and you're going to use that as a cleanser. Mm-hmm. Uh, to decrease your inflammation, but also decrease your congestion slash, you know, blackheads. Um, I think that that's pretty important. Yeah. I think for someone who hasn't got pathology uh, in your, you know, <laughs> using a cleanser that's possibly harsh, um, probably not a good idea because it, it may decrease your barrier function for the actives, yeah? Yeah. Now, one thing I see commonly, or I presume, and then I ask them is that, a lot of clients come in with quite dull, dry, or even red skin. And I'm like, so, you know, what are you using in your skin? And they're like, oh, nothing. I just scrub it every day in the shower, and it still doesn't get better. <laughs> and you're like, well, I think that's the problem. You might want to stop using, um, you know, crushed up nut yeah, apricot scrub on, yeah. on your skin every stop day. Stop using steel wool in the shower. <laughs> yeah, stop using a Brillo pad in the shower. <laughs> so that, that's something quite common. Oh, it is, it is, but then you have a look at Instagram, mate. I mean, like, 
every, you know, just about every day you'll see some kind of shit where people are using their coffee grounds or something and just go, you know, this is great because it's caffeine and it improves your blood flow. It's actually volume. And they're freaking using bloody grinds and just scrubbing their face and then putting their freaking retinol on top of that, you know? Yeah. Well, we also uh, eat we also eat coffee that's been uh, come out of uh, animal poo. Isn't that yeah. like We do all sorts of crazy stuff, us people, yeah. human beings. It's, it's true. <laughs> we pay extra for it too. <laughs> it's true. What would the role be for an exfoliant or, or a scrub or is that a complete no-no? No, no, I, I think it, I think it's good. In fact, um, yeah, look, what I've got here is I was just doing a little thing on Clarisonic. Um, oh God, I, was I wasn't sure what that was for a second, Dab, yeah, and I was like, exactly not that kind of show, mate. Just for those who can't see, Davin held up what looked like a really fancy dildo with a brush on it. What the fire extinguisher? No, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, the Clarisonic is, is pretty good. So you can use yourself as a, you can use yourself, you can use it as a physical exfoliant, uh, you know, better than the buff buff pad. It's, it's nicer to use. Um, like, like I said, it, it, for people with, I guess, who understand the skin very well and want to increase the, um, availability of the actives exfoliate. Yeah. Because Instead basically, going, yeah. yeah. You're taking off the hard outer layer of the skin to let the yeah. stuff go in. The stuff goes in, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you put a moisturizer over the top to keep it in. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Learned, see, I've learned from you on YouTube. I've, I've, <laughs> honestly, I could be a dermatologist tomorrow, any day. You're <laughs> <laughs> legend skincare. There you go. <laughs> It's um, simple, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, when you break it down, I mean, look, when I went to uni, I still can't believe this. They said to us on our very first lecture, they're like, guys, uh, this is Manchester in uh, the UK. Um, yeah. We're a problem-based learning university. So we basically broke off and taught ourselves pretty much the whole syllabus. And we had a few lectures to supplement that. And they said, um, eyes and skin, we're basically not going to cover. So you just you know just read up on it because we're not going to cover it and so i never learned anything about skin I, I still can't believe it to this day but that was their syllabus and do, do you know what in manchester that's where uh that's where the guy who did uh retinol griffiths that is his department he's serious yeah well manchester. he can't be very happy now because <laughs> on the syllabus when i was there Exactly. So you you have this you have this derm thing that has so many publications that breakthrough whereby it's the first you know the first compound that shows wow. uh, you oh. know bio, uh, biological activity in the skin to actually improve quality and he's in Manchester, mate. Is he still alive? Uh, too, well, he doesn't have time to teach. He's too busy writing papers. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I was going to say, um, but off, yeah. I'm busy. But I think there are a lot of doctors um, in that position where unless it's something that interests them and maybe they're a GP and they sort of upskill themselves, it's just a forgotten topic. And yet it's the biggest it is, organ it of the is. body. Yeah, it is. It's very complex. And like I say, there's, you know, in, in our undergrad teaching, it's bugger all, yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, so let's kind of summarize. And I want to know your, your must-have skincare products. Yeah. Maybe we'll go through the actives in order. And then I don't know if off the top of your head you could do like a cheap and a more expensive version. Mm. Is that a challenge? Or yeah, can yeah, you yeah, no problem. No problem. So let's start with the vitamin A or the retinol. What would you recommend cheap? Cheap. Okay. Uh, it can't get cheaper than retrieve or um, medically prescribed, yeah? So if you can go to a bulk billing doctor and just go, look, um, I want some vitamin A, 
for 50 bucks, you're going to have your vitamin A sorted for, you know, a good part of eight months. Right. And that's a retinol or retinoid? Retinoid, retrieve, yeah. Uh, Tretinoin. Yeah, so I think that's that's done the In most terms, that's our, you know, trade secret. That's what we use, yeah. Um, okay. Retrieve, yeah. What, what about, about Zorak? Zorak, yeah, it's super powerful. I, I actually yeah. I mean, there's science to it mixing two different types of uh, retinoids. Yeah. So um, you can get it compounded, yeah. Tazaratine you used to do that as a buyer off the shelf in 1.5% and 0.5%. Now they're gone. I don't know yeah, why yeah, so 0.5%. It's, um, it's, is it 0.5 or 0.05? No, 0.5. It's, it's a very, very strong retinoid. So um, I did used to use that uh, once. So my, my routine was Tazaratine Sunday night. Yeah, and then I'll pick retinoid maybe Wednesday or Thursday, and, and that's it, yeah. <laughs> that's my whole thing right. here. Fair enough. So you're right, Tazaratine super powerful. Yeah, and you used to get less redness with it as well. It was had a sort of less side. Of, I found that you know, I used to get less side effects with it than, than yeah, some yeah. other stuff. Yeah, because it works on different um, RARs, the retinoid uh, receptors compared to. Oh, so yeah. they all, they, I think there's about three or four RA um, retinoid receptors, and they all work on different ones. So my logic was to supersaturate all the RAR receptors. But right. once again, you know, you don't tell that to the patients because they'll, they'll actually they'll get a bad rash. So yeah, right. we're talking about Dunder Cheap uh, Retrieve. Um, look, The Ordinary makes okay stuff. If, you, if you're just looking for the ingredients, The Ordinary, uh, the key list uh, for higher-end stuff, probably Abaji. Uh, that's yeah. pretty good, Abaji 1.0, about 80, 90 bucks. Skinceuticals, mm. uh, probably looking about 110 bucks. Okay, fair enough. And vitamin B? Vitamin B, uh, niacinamide, the... I hardly prescribe that, yeah, but then they, um, because I'm more of an active, um, vitamin B, from what I understand, oh, geez. Rationale, funny, <laughs> no, no, rationale, rationale used to make a good one. I'm not too sure where they still have it now. I'm, I've really got to look, look it up, yeah. So yeah. vitamin B, I'll, I'll take a pass on that in regards to my favorite. On well, no aspect, Dr. Do, a nice one, which I have used before. Oh, yeah, they do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And C, because you were talking about difference in powders, serums, concentrations. That that's maybe a bit more tricky. So, what would you go for a cheap uh, end? A cheap end. uh, Once again, you know, you can't get cheaper than uh, than either the inky list or um, or the ordinary. Okay. Uh, You know, the flip side is that, yeah, as as mentioned, bioactive vitamin C, ascorbic acid, has to be acidic. Yeah, so you get you may get some irritation with that. Yeah. So uh, cheap end is that. Uh, you know, moderate end is something like uh, the Abaji because they make something like a, a ten, uh, you know, a ten, fifteen, and a twenty percent L-ascorbic acid. Yeah, and the high end stuff, which I think it, it probably, if you look at the, yeah, if you look at the papers, but you also look at how le- how very little you use the CE ferulic acid because you've got, you know, both. C and E plus ferulic acid from skin ceuticals. Okay. You may be paying about two hundred odd bucks, but that should last you anywhere between nine to twelve months. Yeah, because you're only using about three drops. Yeah, you're using drops, aren't you? From yeah, you're only using drops. Yeah, and that's got. I think that when, when I look look at that, that's probably got uh, good science to it. Yeah. So if if someone wants to use something as preventive on top of their sunscreen yeah. in the morning, that that combines everything. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Um, moisturizers? 
moisturizers are like uh, La Roche. So moisturizer is it, it's very su- subjective. Yeah, um, for Tolerain, uh, Rosalax, or anyone with sensitive skin, Tolerain, Rosalax from La Roche Per Se. Um, someone with normal skin, I like uh, La Roche uh, Hydraface. Um, Hydraface, H-Y-D-R-A-T-H-A-S-E. That's the one that I actually use myself um, when I use moisturizer. <laughs> so when I nick my wife's. So that one, I, I, I actually buy. Yeah, being a tight ass dem, we we normally get uh, stuff, but then I actually buy my moisturizer. Sure, um, people send you gallons and gallons of this. Oh, stuff. we just get so much shit. It's just unbelievable. If I don't, if if I'm like someone who's a skincare junkie, I'll get irritant dermatitis for the rest of my life by using <laughs> that, that we have. Um, so higher end stuff, it's it's um, or moderate end stuff like Abaji Lux is pretty good for something that's. Um, uh, that's a little bit uh, heavier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, sun cream you sort of touched on already, but just the cheap end and expensive end. I think cheap end. Uh, but once again, you know, I'm not going to say, "Look, why don't you use something sport?" Because it's super cheap. You can buy it in a tub or banana boat or uh, cancer, cancer, cancer council stuff. Yeah, but no one, no one's going to use that. They use it as directed. They're going to break out in zits anyway. So yeah. I think it's pretty hard because um, you need something cosmetically elegant. Yes. So I'm not going to go, you know, let's use the cheapest. I'd say, look, uh, a good compromise. If you're going to invest anything, it's in your sunscreen. Yeah. It is in your sunscreen because um, that just prevents. And I would say something like Lara will say invisible zinc. You're paying between 25 to 35 bucks for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the high-end stuff, Miso um, Aesthetic is really nice. Um, the Miso 130. They're about they're pretty expensive. Yeah, they're about ninety to hundred bucks, small container. Um, but they're yeah, you can't fault them. They're cosmetically elegant. Do you know what always seduces me about a sun cream is the smell. It smells of holiday, and I want to put it on. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> or coconuts, or or something like that. You know. <laughs> and one thing yeah. that we kind of uh, forgot or skipped, I guess, is eye cream. That's. Is that? Do you need an eye cream? I guess just get to the punchline. Yeah, look, the punchline to this. I, I actually, my, my most frequently prescribed eye, um, eye cream is Refresh Eye Ointment, also known as Lacrylube. Okay, awesome. That's the one I use myself. Um, so Lacrylube, as in eye ointment, David, not not not. Yeah, not, yeah. I thought <laughs> that one. I thought that was the company your, your massage device. Uh, no, no, no. There's lacrylube eye ointment. Yeah, for, for no, no. That's, that's for, for for dry eyes. <laughs> um, so good. the ophthalmologist use that for uh, for dry. It actually makes an awesome moisturizer. It's about I think between eight to twelve bucks a little tube, and you'll use probably a little tube every you know three four weeks. Mm. Um, but can you? Yeah, I can go on for another 15, 20 minutes on on eye creams. You know, with the with the caffeine and all the other arbutin and all that sort of stuff. It it very rarely works, yeah. So when you even you look at the stuff made by Allergan, they like um, the uh, TNS eye cream, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's super expensive, yeah. Skin Medica, I think they they make that. I have not seen one good before and after. Like it's just you know it, it's extraordinarily expensive. You know they're using peptides, they're using caffeine, they're using hyaluronic acid. There's lots of you know lots and lots of ingredients. So they say, look, you know, caffeine is really good for people with, um, you know, thin skin and they've got, uh, you know, red eyes or, 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 you know, vascular cause of, of pigmentation. Yeah. I haven't seen a good result. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, it sounds stupid, but are people using eye creams to get rid of wrinkles or to prevent wrinkles? 
I think both, yeah. And and I think dark circles as well. Yeah. Right. So dark circles very, very common. And one of the biggest things I see, a biggest mistake, is that um, they try to use too much. And as a result, their dark circles get worse because they get root and dermatitis because they're using a whole heap of different stuff. <laughs> So, yeah, so someone, the average person that comes in who's got dark circles, generally yeah. speaking, they go on the internet and they'll buy stuff with, you know, with hydroquinone, they'll buy stuff with retinol, they'll buy stuff with uh, caffeine, and they'll just they'll just layer it on, vitamin K, the whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and they promise that uh, the dark circles will go. Next thing you know, the dark circles get worse because they're going to freaking irritant dermatitis. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever used retinol, um, the, the girls didn't tell me, don't use it around your eyes. No, I did. I looked like a panda for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a normal skin as well, not, not you know, hypersensitive skin. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, um, oh, go on. I was going to say hyaluronic acid. We, we sort of forgot that that's like the, you know, we're using it all the time in injectables, but topical yeah. HA, yes. to me, it seems like a lot of, Shit. It, it is because the molecule is too big. That's why. That's why I always say, you know, AJ belongs under your skin, not on your skin. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but of course, you know, you can get a transient improvement because it's like putting um, uh, 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 yeah. and Vaseline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just go get some KY jelly. It's cheaper. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, hyaluronic acid. You know, one of those hyaluronic acid masks or whatever. You know, two bucks, two fifty. Um, put it on, it's a nice treat. And I think, you know, if you're going to use that uh, because you like using it, by all means, knock yourself out. But, you know, like you say, it gives you possibly a transient uh, improvement. Mm. Um, but, yeah, HA belongs under your skin, yeah, because the molecule's too big to penetrate the basement membrane, even low, even non-cross-link, low molecular weight ones, yeah. Okay. Now, tell me, how does how does the average paper person or layperson, person off the street, pick up a bottle of skincare and understand what the hell they're looking at when looking at ingredients. Have you got like a idiot's guide to understanding? Um, I, I, I think it's really hard. Yeah. Because it's so, it's just so confusing. Like, yeah. And I can understand. And remember if you go into a store and, and you know, people are actually trained to sell. <laughs> yeah. You, you walk away with, um, you know, possibly with half a dozen, dozen different sort of stuff because someone's trying to sell you stuff. Yeah, um, I think the buzzword now, natural, uh, and there's nothing natural because you know they may have one or two ingredients found in nature, but that's about it. You still need your preservatives, yeah, with stuff, and you still need your um, and, and a lot of them have fragrances. If they don't have fragrances, they have preservatives. Yeah, mm. there's nothing natural about that. And can you define the term cosmeceutical or you know medically? Um active or you know a lot of these sort of terms are used but what do they actually mean i think it's um that's that's a difficult one i think i mean from a medically prescribed you have to have um cosmeceuticals i think in australia you can claim to have certain things yeah Mm. Uh, it's a very fuzzy word no studies at all i wouldn't even say robust studies zero studies you're using an ingredient and you're taking that possibly out of context or in context whatever you're marketing um, compared to something like uh, medically prescribed web, you know, but, but there's, there's a gray area, yeah. For example, like your, you know, your hydroquinone, for example, yeah, you can get cosmeceuticals 2% super fame, or you can get prescription, you know, anything more than 2%. Yeah. So I think there's an overlap, and I think it's extraordinarily difficult for a layperson to understand. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of random questions that, mm-hmm. um, from, listeners uh, oh. 
We've got the skin hacks though. Did you want to do skin hacks first? Uh, well, to be honest, we kind of did them. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I'll get it up for you again. Uh, Devin, do you want to summarize your sort of top three or top five skincare kind of hacks? Oh, hacks. I guess we, like you say, you know, um, uh, if you can get a get someone to prescribe you a uh, retinoid, that's the biggest hack here. And you mentioned it as well. If you want your skincare product to work, work harder, exfoliate. You don't actually have to change it. You just exfoliate. If you want to go super cheap in the exfoliant, all you need is a, uh, a, a pad, you know, buff buff pad. If you want to go fancy, you can buy yourself a Clarisonic. It's going to last you for years. Um, <laughs> if you want to complicate things, you can use something like an AHA wash, you know, to increase your permeability. So I think that's one of the biggest tricks, yeah, is to, to make sure that your, your skincare, even though it's the same concentration, work harder for you yeah. rather than swapping brands. Because every time you swap brands, you, you run into that unknown as will it cause irritation. You have a chemical there which you're sensitive to or they cause a contact dermatitis. So stick to the one you've got, make it work harder for you. Fair enough. Yeah. And I remember you were talking uh, in the past about the timing of, of uh, putting a skin product on. Is that... Yeah, right or I, not? yeah, I, I guess so because your, um, you know, your skincare products actually go through your um, brick and mortar. Yeah, as it goes through the mortar, which is your brick is basically your uh, keratinocyte. So it goes through the mortar, which is basically uh, lipids and, and, and through the uh, water route. Mm-hmm. So logically, um, and derms do this as well. When we when we need, for example, a corticosteroid or a calcineurin inhibitor, what have you, to penetrate the skin, we ask them to do a straight after a bath and shower. Okay. So you, that that's important because once you come out of the shower or wash your face, your skin's hydrated, yeah, mm. which means your active should, in theory, go uh, that little bit longer, that little bit further. Okay, yeah. cool. And then we did speak about moisturizer to seal after you've put your serum. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or you know, for derms we use wet wraps. Yeah, so wet wraps basically we want something that can really penetrate. We put the um, active on, whether it be for example a or or whatever active you want. Then you put your a wet wrap. So basically, it's just a, a chucks cloth or, or a face cloth. Yeah, about fifteen minutes, half an hour. That rehyd that actually increases your uh, water content of your epidermis. Yeah. Change the product goes in deeper. And then you reapply using whatever product you, that you want to be uh, that you want penetrated. So little, these little simple hints, which uh, you know, dermatologists have been practicing for the greater part of you know nearly a century. I still do it in hospitals, yeah, uh, yeah. For, for kids with eczema and all, where you want the corticosteroid to go deeper and, well, to have an increased bioavailability. Yeah. Fair enough. Now, just a couple of random questions. Um, <laughs> someone has walked into our trap. What is the holy grail of eye creams, or are they just a waste of money? Yeah, I think I think the, the holy grail is basically a, a, a cream to not only reduce or prevent wrinkles, but to treat dark circles. Um, and to just brighten your eyes, yeah, that's a holy grail, I reckon. And as you know, it's an extraordinarily complex topic, yeah, because you, you've got everything from, you know, your tear trough to your, I mean, mate, it's just anatomy to the whole heap, yeah, constitutional pigmentation, PI, I mean, just it goes on and on. So I think it's very difficult. Fair enough. Um, someone sort of asked a two-part question. One of it's not hugely relevant, but if you've had hair removal on your face, and it causes pigmentation above the lip and say on the cheeks. Mm. What what's the best strategy? Would that be topicals or laser? No, topicals. Yeah, so probably you know, apart from sunscreen, something like a hydroquinone. Um, so 
over the counter 2% HQ, superfood with the 2% salicylic acid. Chances are, if you, if you had uh, hair removal, especially upper lip, you probably flared up a little bit of melasma. You know, because the, the lasers probably, you know, uh, probably flared up melasma. Got to be really careful because that can be, you know, every, yeah, probably every day, I, at least myself or one of my nurse therapists, we would see one of these, yeah, these so called, um, you know, uh, adverse reactions. And it can be distressing to the patient, extremely distressing because no one wants a five o'clock shadow, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And roughly, how 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 long would you start seeing results if you if you embarked on using the hydroquinone? Um, probably within two to four weeks. Yeah. So if you use something which increases your turnover, like we mentioned, yeah, you can get the pigment um, out. Yeah, and that's why they have salicylic acid. Yeah, because it works as an exfoliant as Excellent. well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, similar question, but slightly different. Um, do you have any recommended brightening routines for Indian? Pakistani type skin type with severe hyperpigmentation. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, the answer is no. I mean that that you know, if you think about uh, you know, it's it's what, what if you if you look at that kind of um, what's it, that kind of, if you look at that skin type, yeah, you're, you're dealing with uh, you're dealing with about 1.4 billion people, uh, and if someone hasn't found a solution, there is not a solution. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be so blunt, but that's it. Yeah. Because, I mean, if this is my own question, you see a lot of people for injectables who come for, say, tear troughs. Mm. They might be Middle Eastern, they might be Indian, they might mm. be even um, Italian. They're from that strip of the world. Yep. Yep. They've got deep eye sockets and apparently dark under eyes. Yes, yeah. But is that actual pigmentation or is that shadowing from the, d- the deep eye socket? That, that's a good question, yeah. And, um, it's very complex because you can have constitutional pigmentation yeah, which is basically if you see if you if you look at the pigment that goes under the eye, it extends around the orbital rim and yes. into the um, upper part of your your orbit. Yeah, around that little C shape, that's yeah. constitutional. You can't shift that. Okay. It can also be it can also be anatomical, as you know, with the Indian Sri Lankans, they get a really deep tear trough, but not only a deep tear trough, they get uh, recession. Yeah, yeah. And then when you look at the Chinese, they they have the um, maxillary. Uh, hyperplasia, so their their angle is back. Yeah, so it's very complex. Yeah, because it can have a multitude of of different causes. Okay, fair enough. Um, another question about eyes from cosmetic nurse Sally. Solution for under eye lines: Will cosmetics opti crystal assist, or am I wasting my one hundred seventy five dollars? Probably the latter, yeah, but I, I won't say I'm an expert on that, so I'll uh, I'll be politically correct and say, look, I I probably have to do more research, yeah. So I I think it's probably the latter. Yeah, I, I guess that's basically is there a magic eye cream type question again? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, um, slightly off point. Any thoughts on home derma rolling with a 0.3 presumably millimeter roller? Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah, if you're doing you know 0.3, 0.25, if you're sensible about it, if you don't have any um, predisposing um, skin conditions, I, I think that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Micro needling is trying to work. Yeah, and that's much like what David said: is when you trim the uh, leaves, you you increase growth. Uh, in heads, where you do you know micro epidermal injury. Uh, in theory, it increases your collagen, and but it's been shown to do that. Yeah, so okay. I, I, I'm sensing that you want to learn bonsai, Devon. You might have to take a trip down to Sydney. I'm, I'm getting those vibes. 
Oh, mate, it's shit. <laughs> Looking at your stuff, I just yeah. No, I'll, I'll try the try the master aquascaping. I'll, okay. I'll, uh, I'll put that we'll little a, video. We'll do a collaboration. We'll do, we'll do a we'll do like a punjing scene. We'll do like a an aquascape slash bonsai sort of morph thing together. <laughs> That'd be so cool, hey. <laughs> Above and below, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'll be so cool. Yeah, you could do it. <laughs> um, to finish off, do you know Matty Samay down here in Sydney? She's an injector and also she's the real housewife of Sydney. Do you know uh, one of them? them? Yeah. Well, she wanted to ask if you would marry her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic to women. She's a huge fan, apparently, and she asked me to ask you that. <laughs> it was on our uh, podcast. Well, wait, that's a compliment. No, I'm, I'm married, so. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Matty. So we tried. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that happy note, thank you so much again for joining us on Inside Aesthetics. Um, remind us how people can read all about you or watch your YouTube channel. Get in touch on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, look, there's um, the fluffy side of things with a little bit of science is Dr. Dav, at Dr. Davin Lim. The real stuff is uh, at 101.skin, yeah? So basically, that's the more procedural stuff. But I usually filter out all the fluff. And if I put a skincare post or a skincare topic or ingredient there, generally speaking, that's uh, something which not only I but most dermatologists will use. So that's a filtered uh, site, 101.skin. Uh, but if you want to try a lot of actives and, and different sort of stuff and reviews, uh, definitely. <laughs> and, and your YouTube is just under your name, Doctor. Yeah, yeah, under my name. I, I'm, I'm with the YouTube. I'm actually uh, doing a little bit more uh, complex stuff because I think that that's a good, you know, uh, way to explain to patients as well. But mate, you can easily cross pollinate between that and the Instagram. I guess it, the reason why I do Instagram is it just gives patients, empowers patients with with more knowledge. Yeah, mm. that way I have to see less screw ups with <laughs> with stuff, which is good for everyone. Yeah, if someone wants to come and see you for a skin consult or laser, where are you based and what's the name of your clinic again? Uh, uh, clinics called Cutis, C-U-T-I-S, Latin for skin. Uh, I don't do skin consults. I, like yourself, I'm procedural, yeah, so I do the okay. laser, the cutting. Uh, my nurses are more than uh, capable of, of giving skincare advice. Um, and But if you have really uh, complex skin issues, you know, scarring, rosacea beyond control, all that sort of stuff, the really hard stuff, that's where I, I, um, I come in, yeah. So awesome. Rolling I enjoy, out the, I enjoy the really uh, difficult stuff and the real pathology, yeah. <laughs> Not the fluffy stuff. <laughs> awesome, mate. Well, thanks again, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, no Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Bye, guys. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.